I wish I would have known how much work that is actually entailed to do this as a full-time business and make a living at it. It's, it's a lot of work. Hello and welcome to the Zoom with Our Feed podcast, the pod about learning photography with me, your host, T-Mac. I am a professional photographer, videographer, and a teacher. So when I was thinking about a topic for this episode, I thought back on all the stages of my development as a photographer. And at one point in my life, I wanted to start a photography business which I think many photographers do. But for me, by that time, I had discovered television production and went down that path. But I've always wondered, what's it like to not only be a working photographer, but also a photographer who owns the business? On this episode of the Zoom Pod, I thought the perfect guy to talk to about what it's like to run a photography business would be Russell Hans of Russell Hans Photography. Russ is a multi-talented photographer shooting, get this, action sports, special events, senior and family portraits, fine art, photojournalism, and here's a surprise, private investigative photography. Russ is based in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Our guest speaker is in the photo lab. Let's talk to a pro. Russ, welcome to the Zoom with our feet podcast. How are you? I'm great, Tim. Thank you. Tell me about your photography journey. How, how did it start? Well, <laughs> kind of an interesting story, but I've, uh, I've been into photography for... 40 plus years. I started in probably middle school. Uh, my dad was in law enforcement. And back then, you know, with the film cameras, he taught me how to use the cameras as well as how to develop the film and, and so forth. And um, then my career, my first career, it's a private investigator. And so as a private investigator, when I started back in the late 80s, um, it was telephoto lenses and film cameras uh, when we're out on stakeouts and surveillance. And, and so I always have utilized the, the camera for, for work that way. And it's just progressed. You know, I, I, I did photography as a hobby and, and for work. And, you know, for a lot of years, it kind of fell to the wayside um, with, with my investigations business getting bigger and getting into, you know, video cameras and so forth. We didn't use as much of the, the still cameras other than, you know, certain investigations that I did uh, would require the still cameras. And, and so I would get called to come in for certain jobs that, that needed pictures for courtroom displays and so forth. Um, and then about nine years ago, I, I had some changes in my life and I picked up a camera again and I really just fell in love with it again. 
And I guess they say the rest is history. I just, I fell in love with it. I went into it head over heels and, and I've been trying to get retired from the, the PI industry. I still do some of that, but my, my main love now is photography and it's been more than a full-time job to, to keep me busy. I asked this, I, I asked this question, uh, because it always dates, uh, you always date yourself with the answer. What was your first camera? Uh, that you used? I think it was a, a Pentax, like a K1000 or something. Was it was the first camera that I that I had back in in high school. And I, I switched. Uh, I ended up with a lot of Minolta cameras. I I don't even remember the names of them. I have some of them on my shelf up there, but um, some different Minolta film cameras. And then my first digital camera was a Sony Alpha, the first Sony Alpha camera that they came out with, I suppose, 20 some years ago. I still have that sitting on a shelf too, but um, that was the, the first digital one. And then uh, I had that for many years. And then I went back to Nikon, picked up the Nikon back in 2014. Did you uh, have any photographers that you that you followed or that you that influenced your work? I really did. I just kind of had my own little pictures in my mind of what I wanted things to look like, and and I, I didn't really follow other photographers. Um, and and to be honest, I, I don't do that a lot now. Uh, there's some fantastic photographers that I look up to and, and I, I love their stuff. And, and, and I, you know, I do study it and look at, you know, Peter Reed Miller. But in general, I just kind of just did my own thing. Um, so I don't follow a lot of photographers that way. Part of my reason for wanting to do the podcast was to be able to talk to um folks making money from photography and ask them how they learned the basics. How did you learn the exposure triangle, aperture, shutter speed, ISO? Well, you know, I think that goes back to high school and between, you know, my dad explaining some of it to me. And then we also had photography classes in high school and you know, I think it was, I can't, I'm getting too old to remember back that far as far as uh, what the the tricks were to, to teaching that. But boy, I'm so glad that it clicked, you know, because I've tried to teach it now and I can't imagine as you do. Um, it, it's hard to teach to somebody that doesn't uh, to understand it. But boy, the importance of mastering that is so crucial. And I'm so glad that whatever, whatever it was that my, my art teacher, I think, taught photography in high school and the tricks that they gave us to learn that was invaluable. Do you shoot all manual? I do. I, 
I sometimes turn on auto ISO, but that would be the only um, variable that I sometimes have when I'm shooting. Shh, don't tell anybody I, I shoot an auto ISO sometimes too. Yeah, well, you know, when, you, when you're, you're getting paid to get a job done, um, and you've got quotas to, to get of a certain number of photos for your clients, and you've got changing light, uh, you're at a football game and half the field's, you know, in a shadow, and you've got to get the shot. Someone's paying for the shot. Exactly, you know. If I was shooting on my own, maybe I would try something different or try to get artsy. But when you've got people that are paying you to shoot a game and they want X number of photos and they want the photos of this catch or, you know, the big plays, you can't risk missing them. Tell me about private investigation work as a photographer. I mean, talk about having to get a shot. I think that would make me very nervous <laughs> to have that sort of uh, pressure on producing images, knowing what what they're for. It is, and you know, it, it ingrains in you the importance of getting the shot. And you know, whether it's you're out on a surveillance case and you're you're watching a, a injured worker that's uh, you know, performing tasks that they've claimed that they can't do and they're out in their yard, you know, lifting weights or whatever. Um, yeah, you can't uh, say, oops, you know, and this was in film, you know, so you had to know that you're getting these pictures right. And so knowing your camera, knowing your exposures, you, you just, you had to, had to know it. That's why, I guess now I lean on getting it right in camera. That was long lens work back then, right? Sure, you bet. And a lot of it was the old, you know, maybe a, the the mirror with those mirrored lenses that, you know, they would have the, the big round lenses with the, the circle in the mirror. So it would be like a an F8, you know, maybe a 400 F8 or something, you know, at times just to, to reach out there. Is this for insurance companies for the most part? Yep, we primarily work for insurance companies. Um, once in a great, great while, there would be a, a cheating spouse or something like that, but that wasn't uh, something that we specialized in. It was mostly uh, insurance defense work. From the private investigation work, you stepped away from photography my my path is similar you know i started shooting at nine or ten years old with uh, an inherited camera but when i got to college i switched to broadcasting and television and became a videographer and a camera operator and then came back to photography and just rediscovered the passion as you describe for for photography was sports what you came back to. Tell me about that sort of re-entry back into photography. I came back just to get back into photography. But one of the things that I started doing right away was the sports. And I had shot 
some sports with my kids growing up. Uh, my kids played hockey and soccer and different things. And so I, I took the typical mom or dad photos um, that you would see, you know, um, now it would probably be, you know, the cell phone pictures that lots of parents are taking at, at a sporting event. Um, that was probably the extent of my sports photos when my kids were growing up. Um, but I, I had some opportunities. I had a, an online, um, it's a website here in town that was developed by some former employees of our local newspaper. And they were, the newspaper had been downsized over the years. And some of the uh, contributors and writers um, had retired, some were let go. Well, they, they started this website to um, have, a, have a, a place to, to still write and publish, uh, whether it was, you know, the chef Jeff who wrote articles on on different recipes and stuff or and the outdoors writer or all these different people. And they came to me and said, hey, you know, some of these things we need a photographer to go along when we're writing a story or whatever. Would you be interested in that? And I said, absolutely. And so even though I didn't have ties to the newspaper, it was kind of my introduction to photojournalism. And I started going to our local university and shooting some of their sports. I went along to, you know, all kinds of different shoots. And it just, I, I got exposed to a lot of different things. And so that was a, a good a good way to kind of jump into it. Your so from that kind of humble beginnings online, you then, what was the next level for you to create your own company as a freelancer? Is that what it evolved to? It did. I I went. I just kept getting called, uh, you know, from other other people asking me to to do you know, photo work. <clears throat> so I started started a photography company and got a website and started an online presence and just started showing off my work and, and marketing myself. And that's where it's gone. You, um, one of the things that uh, I think drew me to your, to your work was the, the sort of breadth, the width of, of all the different types of uh, genres that you work in, everything from the investigative stuff and sports. Um, what else did that evolve into? So the sports folks, and I know some of this from personal experience, seeing your parents start to come to you and say, can, can we get action shots a headshot was there an evolution even within your own company but yeah once i started doing a lot of the high school sports i started having the parents come to me and ask me about the senior pictures and and once i started doing that then i really i fell in love with what i call and others call sportraits you know and the sports portraits where you know I, I really just love doing those. And, 
and some harsh lighting. And I've kind of got a style that I've been, you know, doing for eight or 10 years with dark shadows and, and off camera flash and just uh, kind of trying to set myself uh, apart from some of the other photographers out there just with a, a little bit different look. And, you know, over the years, I think it's it's become quite popular. You see quite a bit of it now. Um, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, you didn't see nearly as much of that. Right, right. Well, that sort of leads to my next question about sort of the importance of composition. How has your, the way you look at composition evolved from those early days to much more purposeful work with portraits now? Part of it is just in, in the photographer's eye. You know, part of it is just, it's an innate sense that seems like um, I look at a picture and, and I just know this is how I want it arranged and this is how, you know, how it needs to be cropped and, and so forth. And, it, and sometimes I don't even know why. You know, sometimes you, you you go back to your rule of thirds and, you know, your different different uh, general rules. But I think sometimes I think it's something that you're just kind of born with. I think that that some of that just it's it's there. And I, you know, I find I can go through, you know, a gallery of sports photos and I can crop for impact uh, very quickly and it, without even thinking about it, it's, it's just something that's ingrained in you. Um, I belong to a lot of photography groups on social media. And I have learned so much from those groups, I from the other photographers and, you know, not not necessarily anybody in spe specifically, but they ask any anybody posts a picture and they ask for, you know, some constructive criticism on it and as you know as well as i do on the internet some people will they'll give you what you ask for and uh they they can be very harsh um, um i was able to take that feedback um as much as it hurt sometimes but yeah i learned so much um from cropping for impact um composition um uh, Certain, just certain little rules about, you know, don't use the photos that, you know, show this or that, um, you know, peak action, you know, just all of these things that I, I didn't know. And just from, from studying and spending time in these groups and, and reading the criticism on other people's photos and on my own. It's funny you mentioned peak action because uh, I know for a fact sometimes when I bring that up to my students, they kind of cock their heads and they're not really sure, uh, you know, of, of that concept. So let's, uh, this is a great opportunity to break something down that, that I think sports photographers, uh, veterans are looking for. Explain what you mean by, uh, let's use football or basketball or, or even hockey, because I definitely want to get into your work in hockey. 
uh, peak action and what you mean by that concept? I would use a, a football catch, for instance. You know, um, you're looking for that that peak moment when that ball is, you know, just entering the hands of the receiver, you know, versus after they've already caught it and they're they're falling down or they're waiting for the ball to get there. You know, when you first start, you go, oh, look at his eyes are looking. That's a cool shot. Well, it, you know, once you get that ball just right on the fingertips and and things, then you start to realize, wow, that that has so much more impact uh, looking at that or the basket, you know, when they're just the ball is just leaving their hands on a shot. Um, you know, hockey, the same thing, whether it's with that stick flex, they're taking a shot, that stick is flexed and and you know that it's just ready to explode off of there or the the puck is just entering the glove of the goalie or just entering the net. Um, those are all, you know, the peak action. Well, three, three frames before, three frames after, you're describing that, that moment. There's so much information and so many great photographers out there that if you're willing to listen and read and take it to heart and go out and try it, you can learn so much. You bring up the, the, the one group uh, on uh, social media, which is where we, we actually came in contact. Uh, I do believe I made some comments on your hockey because it just your hockey work is just outstanding. But also your um, just your framing and composition. I'm interested in how you look at composition when shooting hockey. I, I look at, at several different options when I'm shooting hockey. One, I spend an uh, enormous amount of time with the goaltender in my viewfinder um, because I'm looking for I'm looking for goals. I'm looking for saves. And then beyond that, I'm looking for hits, you know, for for the most part, when I'm shooting hockey, those are the things that I'm looking for. Those are the things that the fans and the people want to see. Now, I shoot for a university the majority of the time. Uh, I shoot for a wire service as well, but mostly for the university. So I do have other, you know, stock photos that I need where I'm just looking at, all right, they're they're coming towards me and I want an upper body shot that they can use in cutouts later for, you know, media graphics and, and things like that. But yeah, for the most part, I'm looking at, at shots, saves, big hits and, and those types of things. So that's what I'm I'm composing for. So I I have that goalie locked in most of the time and I'm I'm going back and forth with my camera and I'm watching with my non-camera eye, I'm watching the play going on in the ice while my camera is still over here on the goalie. So I, if they shoot from here, I know to start hitting the button because the puck's coming at the goalie. I try to keep the goal about one third of my frame. So that's about, if you're wondering how tight I shoot, that's that's about how tight I shoot is 
I keep the goal of about one third of my frame. When you shoot a college hockey game, this is another thing I wanted to get into uh, because one of the things that, that drew me to your work was uh, your work with remote cameras, which I think a lot of folks don't realize how much they are utilized. So um, talk to me about, uh, so a college soccer game or hockey game how many cameras are you bringing to a um to a game say a league game for your college generally this season i have three cameras up in the in the catwalk above the ice that i i just left them there i put them up there in october and they're they're up there for the season so um i have I have two that are out on the blue line and they're aimed down at each net. And then another camera over the goal um, that we shoot at twice that's looking straight down on top of the net. That one I sometimes use, sometimes I don't. Um, I always use the other two. And then I have a net camera that occasionally I put in the net and get shots from there. Sometimes I get short on cameras, depending on other other jobs that I have going and with the three that I have up in the catwalk. So I've been trying to switch over and use one of my mirrorless cameras in the net camera box. But that brought in a whole nother uh, search for a lens that will fit on my mirrorless camera and still fit into that box because it's it's pretty narrow. So I've got one that'll be here uh, this week, so <laughs> hopefully uh, I'll have a. I've been trying some some different ones. I I shoot a an eight millimeter lens in there that works great, but it's it's very wide, so you can't really zoom into your pictures very well without them breaking down. Um, last week I tried it with a twenty six millimeter lens, and it's just way too tight. So I have a fifteen millimeter that is gonna be here on Thursday. So hopefully that's gonna be the answer. So we'll see. Sometimes, I guess answering your question, sometimes I have four remotes going. Wow. So to to kind of get into the weeds a little bit, um, you have four cameras that includes, or in addition to the one hanging around your neck or or, or whatever, correct? That's in addition to, yeah, those four are all just remote cameras. And then I shoot from an elevated uh, platform in the concourse. Um, and that's where I'm shooting with my, my regular camera and triggering the remotes at, at the same time. I'm envisioning like a drummer. Are you, are, do you have, how do you, how do you actuate the remote cameras? I, I actually, kind of do it the the lazy way um just for the fact that hockey is so fast um that i for the most part i have my trigger on my handheld camera that i'm shooting with and it's firing all the remotes at the same time so when i when they shoot the puck and i'm shooting it's firing the remotes as well 
that certainly makes it easy. It it does make it and, easy. And shows you what I don't know about remote cameras. <laughs> so when you actuate your Z9, yeah. correct? Yep. You are also actuating all those other remotes. Your remote cameras. Right. And I do have each of those on a different group uh, on my trigger so I can turn off any of them. If my uh, my net camera, for instance, got kicked or turned sideways in the net or whatever, then I know that that's camera D. I can just turn camera D off. And so then it won't trigger anymore. Um, if I'm only shooting the our shots on the opposing goalie and I don't need any shots on our goalie, I can turn off camera B in the second period so that it's not shooting the other goalie, you know, our goalie. So I can I can turn any of them on or off. And they are powered rigs, not not batteries. No, um, two two of the remotes uh, up in the catwalk are on battery, and one is plugged into the wall, and then the net camera is battery too. So mostly batteries. So you make a trip up there to replace batteries, refresh batteries. Yep, I go up before every game, I turn the cameras on, I double check the focus, make sure that nothing is, has changed as far as they got bumped or something. So I make sure everything's in focus. I turn on the triggers. Um, and then after the game, I go back up there. I get my card out of each one. Um, I turn them off. Uh, I check the batteries. Most of mine, the batteries will work for a whole weekend. So I can use them for Friday night. If I put a new battery in on Friday night, um, it'll work Friday and Saturday night and still have plenty of battery power left. Being able to isolate the goal area. So I'm thinking now you have your handheld image, which is sort of front, uh, you know, looking at the person uh, or or I should say they're facing you, but you also have uh, that eye above. So now you have the crease and you have the relationship. Now you have multiple angles of, of that area. The nice thing about it is, you know, when you're just shooting from, you know, where I do, so many times your your view of the goal is blocked. So you have a, you know, you have a guy come in and score a goal and the goalie is blocking the, the shot or the puck, or you have a defender between you and, and the guy shooting the puck or whatever. So all of a sudden you get this goal, but you have no, no image of it because you were in the wrong spot. I mean, there's just, you could only be in one place. And so it gives me so many more options. I can look at those remotes and all of a sudden you got that shot down and you can see the puck going in the net. And so it just gives me so many more options. Being one person trying to cover a game, I, I get a lot more angles and views. So, in do you use, is hockey the only sport you use remote cameras for? No. No, I, I use remotes for for basketball as well, college basketball. Um, I usually have a wide angle lens either on the floor 
at the, the base of the stanchion uh, below the basket or more often up on the stanchion about eight feet off the floor mounted on the stanchion and uh, looking straight out under the basket. So I do that for basketball. Um, I occasionally use them for soccer uh, behind the behind the goal, uh, shooting through the goal. Um, I use them for BMX racing. They're they're great for for BMX. I get some some different areas where they might be jumping up in the air or right by the start finish line. So I'll use them for that. I sometimes you'll use them for baseball or softball trained on on home plate just for another view of that that play at home plate other than it seems like every time I I put up a remote uh, they never have a play at home plate anymore so and how explained um, explain the so it's remote in that you've got it locked down how is it communicating to your main camera explain that process Sure. I I use pocket wizard triggers. I use the plus three pocket wizard triggers. Um, they're kind of an industry standard with the pocket wizards. Um, they reach a long way. I can be on one end of a soccer field and they'll reach the other, the other end without uh, any problems. Um, so, the, and I can change, I can put different cameras on different channels. Um, so that, like I said, I can turn one off, turn a different one on. Um, you can either have the camera or the trigger on your camera on the hot shoe so that it's triggering all the other cameras when you push your shutter button. Or sometimes I wear it on a cord, especially like BMX and different things. I wear it on a cord or a lanyard around my neck. And then I can just push the, the test button on my trigger to trigger my remote. So that way I'm not shooting extra frames of my regular camera. I'm just pushing the button when something's going on on the, the other end of the basketball court or, or when they're coming up on a jump around the corner of the track, I can hit that button and fire that camera as it's going. That's, it's amazing. You know, RF technology that, that like you say, has evolved in in the digital world to have so, you know, the length of a soccer field, that's pretty far to be able to actuate a camera mounted to the goal opposite you. Oh, it's even now they're coming out with the, I think they have the, the plus three E and they're saying that they have, they have had results uh, over a mile. Wow. A mile. That's crazy. You've now sort of transitioned from this, from one, so this evolution of Russ Hahn's photography has now gone from sort of one thing, investigative work, taught yourself. I mean, I always tell people, we're actually, we're really all self-taught. We, we all figured out the exposure triangle on our own based on whatever our experience was it sounded like you got a brief break for the holiday but talk me through a typical work week assignment wise i do i do work for a uh, a drone park that's attached to our air force base 
and they fly uh, UAS uh, play, planes out there, drones, um, with companies like Northrop Grumman and General Atomics and all of this stuff. And I, I do all the photography out there. And so I've got uh, some work that they need me to do out there um, with some new hangars that have been built. And they, they want some new photos for, uh, for the presentations that they make. So uh, I've got to get out there and get some photos of that. Um, I believe I have uh, a couple of high school games to shoot this week um, in the evenings. Um, I have a senior picture session, I believe Friday afternoon, um, of a hockey player. Um, I usually do most of my senior pictures in the fall, but some of my, some of my clients are hockey players. So we do a split session where in the fall, we might do them playing football or soccer, as well as just their normal suit and tie shots and things like that. And then we come back now that they have their hockey jerseys and the ice is in the rink. So then we go back and we do some portraits in the uh, in the rink. So I'll be doing that on Friday. And so, yep. So we've got the hockey one coming up this week. And then um, Saturday, I'm back to the university. Uh, they play the uh, U.S. under 18 Team America uh, game on Saturday. So I'll be back over there shooting that and then be probably the same type of thing next week. You know, we got more senior pictures that have to get done with, with hockey players and I get events, you know, constantly getting called to, to shoot events, whether it's, uh, you know, a corporate seminar or something going on at, at you know, and they want pictures taken of, of the booths and different things that are going on. Sometimes they have a, uh, I guess we call it a step and repeat wall where I'll be set up and the, the attendees are coming all dressed up in gowns and suits. And I take their pictures as they're, they're coming in. Um, lots of events, just, it's a little bit of everything to be honest. Exactly. What's in your kit? Tell me about your tools of the trade. What, what, uh, what do you shoot? Give me your, give me your cameras, your lenses. I've probably got way more than I need. Um, I, I've just been from my years in business as a private investigator and everything else. I've always just been of the, the mindset that, um, make sure you have the tools. If you're going to advertise the work, make sure you have the tools to do the job, right? Um, not only that, but you need backup tools to, as well. Um, I certainly wouldn't go to a wedding and shoot a wedding with, with one camera and risk uh, something happening to that camera. So I, I make sure that I've got a backup camera. And uh, my kit um, that I mostly shoot with um, is a pair of uh, Nikon Z9s. Those are, are mirrorless cameras that I do the far majority of my work with. The, the lenses that I use on, a, on an everyday basis is the, the 24 to 70 and the 70 to 200 f2.8 lenses. My other lens that never leaves my bag is my Nikon 120 to 300. 
Um, that is one of the best lenses that Nikon ever created. It, it's an amazing lens. And I, that's, that's my sports lens. I use that for 90% of my sports, um, for all my hockey is shot with that, um, outdoor sports. I put a 1.4 on that and I use that for outdoor football during the day or soccer. Um, then if we're indoors for football, our football team plays in a dome. So we're indoors. Um, I switch, I, sh I have a 400 to eight, uh, that I use for indoor football or night football or any of that kind of stuff. But those are, those are the main, the main kit that I use. I of course use 14 to 24, you know, wide angle lenses and, you know, a mixture of, of other stuff as well. But talk me through your hockey game over. You mentioned that you are slinging some images during the game. Um, how and and it's funny. I I I tell students that, or I'll tell uh, folks that, and they kind of look at me, and I go, "Oh no, it's pretty much required these days because of social media that most clients want you slinging images asap." Two different ways. Um, may, the majority of the time for hockey, um, in between each period, I'm uploading 20, 30 images um, for the on average. Uh, football, I do it at halftime. Uh, again, maybe 30, 40 images. Um, and then again, immediately after the game. Um, that's not counting my remote cameras. So I, because those, I have to go and get my, my cards out of those cameras. So those images are kind of uploaded later. Um, although, you know, I usually at the end of a, a hockey game, I know if there's something I'm looking for on those remotes. So it takes me seven or eight minutes from the end of the game to have my images uploaded. Seven to eight minutes. Let me repeat. Let me. Let me underline clock strikes zero in seven or eight minutes. You have uh, what I would call immediate batch that you're able to send to the client. Is that because you are on their network in their building and you have a place, a, fo a folder? How is that work? How does that workflow work? Um. I I develop, I set up a folder before every game. I use Google Drive. And so I set up a Google folder for that game and I email a link to the marketing department and to the SID who's going to be grabbing those and doing the graphics on. You know, they have templates already set up that all they have to do is enter the score and add a add a picture and then they can throw them up on Twitter and Instagram and yeah, so they're waiting for the image. So I have uh, specific requirements as far as the size that my photos have to be. So that I know that they all need to be 1920 by 1080 at 72 pixels per inch. So my photo mechanic has said that when I crop everything, it's outputting 
the images exactly the size that they need. Um, so yeah, so my workflow goes, I tag my photos or lock my photos as I'm taking them. So as I'm shooting a period of hockey and something happens and I know that I want one of those photos, then I go back and I, I, I lock the photos, maybe five, six photos around that one. And then I continue on. Yeah. And so I just, not even a whole birth, but just, just those couple photos around the one I know I want. And, uh, it gets a little bit different if you're shooting for the wire because I have to also make sure that I have something that shows a photo, a number, so that I can identify the player later. Um, but for the college stuff where I don't have to caption images, um, I just I'm just looking for the visuals, visuals, and so I lock those photos as I'm going, and or the next whistle, you know, go back lock over the, those photos. So at the end of the period or the end of the game. I'm just ingesting those locked photos. So even though I might've taken a thousand pictures in that period, I'm only ingesting maybe 100, 150 pictures. So I can scroll through those very fast and, and pick, you know, okay, here's the goal and here's three pictures from the celebration. And then I'm on, here's a big hit. Here's a big save, you know, and, and I grab those those photos and then those photos I'm cropping and making sure they're straight and uh, save them into the size that the that the university needs. Or if it's a different client and they need a different size, same thing. And then I uh, I double check them to see if I need to to do any any other work to them, whether they they're too bright or too dark. But. You know, I pretty much have it dialed in so I don't have to do any toning on those for in-game images. So once I've done that, I just take them and drop them right into my Google Drive and I'm done. I go right back out to my shooting location and they're uploading. So I walk away. So usually I have about six minutes left in the period break. When I'm done, depending on, you know, it depends on how much stuff happened in a period. Sometimes you might only have 10, 12 pictures to upload and you're done really fast. Sometimes you had five or six goals in a period. And so you're, you know, you've got 50 pictures that you're trying to get done and uploaded before the next period starts. So it all depends on the action that, that happened that period. So you mentioned being dialed in for hockey. Uh, Talk to me about your sweet spot of settings for hockey. Now, I understand and you understand that it's based on that particular's venue lighting. But just for discussion purposes, you've got it dialed in so you know what the light is that you're dealing with. Um, talk me through your three uh, main settings when you're um when you're shooting hockey to be honest with you this is for most sports um i will set my shutter speed at about one one thousand um if it's if i know it's a little bit brighter then i'm gonna go maybe to one sixteen one sixteen hundredth you know 
Um, and then I'm going to generally be at F2.8. In, in our college hockey rink, I shoot at F3.2 just and I don't need to. It's it's easy because it helps me remember because I shoot at 1/1600, and 3200. So that's my setting. So it's just it's easy to remember if I leave it at that. And whether I shoot at 2.8 and drop it down to, you know, ISO 2500, yeah, it doesn't really make a difference. So um but yeah, so I set my my shutter speed kind of as fast as I think I can get away with. I open up my aperture and then um, I dial in my ISO to whatever I need to to get a proper exposure. Now, if I'm going over to one of the high school rinks, uh, which obviously doesn't have the, the TV lighting and, and so forth, um, they're anywhere from a stop to two stops darker than the college rink. So there I'm going to be back at probably one one thousandth and F2.8. And then I'm going to adjust that ISO probably to 5,000, maybe 6,400. Um, so that generally the ISO is, is my variable. I, I know I got to be at least a one thousandth of a second and I'm stuck at two eight for the most part. Um, so I, my ISO is my, my wiggle room and I can go up or down with that as I need to. Uh, hockey, I shoot quite a bit overexposed. Um, I shoot probably, if I'm aimed just at the ice, I'm about a stop and a half overexposed on my meter. Um, and that's just the way I shoot it. I like that. I, it helps me get the white ice that people are used to seeing. Uh, helps me get uh, facial expressions on, on the players um, because I I tend to shoot pretty close and tight. So um, I like to be able to see the, the faces. And so it works for me. Some people don't like them that overexposed. But, uh, you know, that's again, that's one of those things where we're all we all have our own style. Photomechanic Lightroom. I don't use Lightroom. <laughs> Um, I got started on a program 20 years ago that's called Paint Shop Pro. And it's actually Corel's version of, of, uh, you know, the whole bundle. And so I've, I do have the, uh, Adobe Creative Cloud. I have Lightroom, I have Photoshop, um, and all of the other programs. I just, I've never used them. I, I use this Paint Shop Pro. Um, it basically has the same, same modules as Lightroom. I can pull it up into adjust and I can move my sliders for uh, clarity and, and lighting and shadows and, and do the same thing that you do in Lightroom. Um, and then if I want to go into the edit mode where I can do a lot more just like you can in Photoshop as far as layers and masking and, and so forth. So it's, it's basically the same thing. It's real similar to Adobe bridge. Um, so, you know, I, same concept, just a, a little different program. Whatever works, Russ, whatever works. And it's something that you use. I'm sure you're, extremely fast on it um 
which is the other part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Speed, speed is the, you know, that's why I'm so, I, I tell everybody, get it right in camera, work to get it right in camera because it saves you so much time when you're on a deadline, whether I'm shooting for the university, whether I'm shooting for the wire service, where I need to be uploading photos again in, in between periods at the end of the game, they've got to be right or so close because you don't have time to sit and fix white balance and fix, you know, dark photos or you got to get it right. Well, that answered my tip question and what advice would you give aspiring photographers? So I'm going to uh, definitely use that. Uh, let me make it more personal and uh, make this the last question. Um, what is the one thing, and it could be it could be anything. What what is the one thing that you know now that you wish you knew back when you were making that transition back into photography? <laughs> I love this question, by the way. The one thing that I know now that I wish I knew then. I guess one thing, maybe, <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's quite a question. I guess on a, I, I wouldn't say that it's a negative, but I wish I would have known how much work that is actually entailed um, to do this as a full-time business um, and make a living at it. It's it's a lot of work. It's It's shooting every day and marketing every day and uh having the equipment and being you know being ready to go and sometimes it's it's clients need stuff done in the evenings and on weekends and things like that when you'd rather be at the lake or you know going to the game yourself with your wife um so that's one thing that i guess i didn't realize was how much work that it was going to be. Um, but I also didn't realize how fulfilling it would be. And, you know, sometime maybe we'll talk again and I'll tell you some more stories about um, why and what led me into the deep dive into photography and, you know, the hole that I was filling there. Um, but, um, it's so fulfilling putting the smiles on people's faces and seeing satisfied clients and receiving the messages from grandmas and parents of, you know, that I, this is my grandson and I live in Florida and being able to see these pictures of him, you know, in these sports or at prom or, or what have you, it, it's, you know, you wouldn't believe the messages that I get that just, make my heart flutter so it makes it all worthwhile russ hans i can't thank you enough for being a part of the project i wish you much success thank you very much sir you bet thank you it's fun thanks again to the amazingly talented russell hans 
You can check out his portfolio and more at RussellHansPhotography.com and all of his social media channels. The Zoom With Our Feet podcast is a production of TV Commando Media. Be sure to take a peek at the blog and other episodes of the Zoom Pod at zoomwithourfeet.com. The Zoom Pod theme is by Novembers and their funky groove, Cloud 10. Until next time, photographers, if you're not shooting, you're not learning.